It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. one 408 7669 I got Alan West at the bottom of the arrow, but I got you now. A lot going on. We're going to be covering it all. It seems like more and more issues are popping up, and the administration's remarkably consistent. They're not addressing any of them. Any of them. And that, that's what makes it hard, even drilling down to the big three every day, because there could be a big eight. Eight issues that just gnawed people. And I've been on the road with the president of Freedom Fighter. I probably met 2,000, maybe more, 2,000 people uh, in a week. It's been one week since the book came out. So I got to figure out I went to Long Island, uh, to Publicans. Then we went over to uh, Staten Island the next day. And then Friday in Atlanta and Saturday in Lexington, Kentucky, and then Sunday in West Virginia, and then Monday in South Carolina. And wherever I go, people are just astounded. It's, it's another issue which they just people just can't believe we're not addressing. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If the American people didn't like how fast the Democratic agenda was progressing, why did they reward the party that was opposing it? It's not just Biden's approval rating falling generally. It's falling with those specific groups that helped him win office in the first place. Right. And I think Republicans have an opportunity to win over minorities, especially with this mandate. Totally unnecessary. That's Jason Riley. Joe Biden gets sobering approval numbers, and only Harris's are worse by 10 points. What that says for his plans to spend us into terminal debt and dependence. Number two. During that time, it was a very uh, witch hunt uh, that was going on across the league where everybody in the media was so concerned about who was vaccinated and who wasn't. My plan was to say that I've been immunized. It wasn't uh, some sort of ruse or lie. It was the truth. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how they're jumping on Aaron Rodgers. Mandate mania. Ensnared Rodgers as the sports world goes bonkers because the Packers quarterback's vague answer to a vax question. Why Rodgers is right and how State Farm's rare pushback to stand by him in the middle of cancel culture could be a turnaround. Number one. Why is the administration now (laughs) considering shutting down the Line 5 pipeline from Canada to Michigan? So, Peter, uh, that is inaccurate. Is it being studied right now? Is the administration studying the impact of shutting down the Line 5? Yes, we are. (laughs) Thankfully, you straightened him out. Karine Jean-Pierre seems like a wonderful woman, but way out of her depth as a press secretary. Energy. Biden is doing his best to raise oil and gas prices. No joke. I'll explain. And here's what we're talking about. Line five. It's a line that goes uh, through Canada, uh, under Great Lakes, uh, through uh, into Michigan and then through the country. This is the worst time you would think to hamper flow of oil and gas into our country in any way, shape or form, let alone from Canada. You rather call up Saudi Arabia and Russia and ask them to pump more then deal with Canada. That's what they're doing. They're actually thinking about getting rid of the 
level five pipeline, the level five pipeline, because their ultimate goal is to green our country and people who don't have to worry about money and still fly fire jet, uh, fly uh, private wherever they go, and will have no problem firing up their yacht. Like John Kerry, who's on the cover of the Time magazine, I'm sure that is a repellent for anyone buying the magazine. Who cares? This guy is useless. And now Glasgow will drones on and on about the world about to end. And in the meantime, you're now paying double for gas. Regular is three forty two, mid mid grade three seventy three, diesel three uh, three uh, three dollars and sixty four cents. All uh, fossil fuels are going up. Even natural gas, which burns clean, is going up. Even though we could frack our way right to freedom, we're just not doing it. So then when this level five story pops up, you expect the administration, oh, that's just not true. It's just not true. But they're studying getting rid of it. And the Secretary of Energy laughs about gas and oil prices. She doesn't think it's a problem. In my view, it's all because she thinks for the betterment of the earth— We're going to go green with windmills and solar panels. Screw you. Screw Thanksgiving. Screw Christmas and your family, who I guarantee has been through trials and tribulations. I don't care how much you earn or how great your job is this past year. Listen to her last week. Cut to. What is the Granholm plan to increase oil production in America? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> that is hilarious. Would that I had the magic wand on this. As you know, of course, uh, oil is a global market. It is controlled by a cartel. That cartel is called OPEC. And they made a decision yesterday that they were not going to increase beyond what they were already planning. Okay. Natural gas used to heat our home. Almost half of U.S. household has doubled in price. The price of crude oil, oil, which affects all of us in our lives, 10% of households rely on heating oil and propane during the winter, has soared. So all of us outside Florida, southern Florida, I can't even say northern Florida, southern Florida and maybe southern Texas and southern California. I went to San Diego. Sometimes it gets cold there. I lived in there for a while. It gets cold there in winter. All of us are going to feel that and going to be paying more. I don't know. Even if you do have extra money, do you want to spend it on basic utilities for no reason, knowing your country is energy independent if it chooses to be? And here's what drives me nuts. There are things that happen like hurricanes and collapses of the of the market in 2008 you really have no control over it unless you're a Wall Street titan. You know, it really, you sit there and you're a victim of it. But we don't have to be victims of this. This is an issue which needs to be addressed. We have to pump more. We have to drill on private lands. And the administration's choosing not to do it. In fact, they're going the other way. I'll give you the, the give and take with uh, the Jen Psaki deputy. Cut one. The energy secretary says about the cost of Americans heating their homes in the winter, it will be more expensive this year than last year. So why is the administration now considering shutting down the Line 5 pipeline from Canada to Michigan? So, Peter, uh, that is inaccurate. That is not 
that is not right. Uh, so any reporting indicating that some decision has been made, again, is not accurate. The current Line 5, five pipeline is subject to litigation between Enbridge and the state of Michigan. So again, I would it is inaccurate what you just stated. What's but so but the, the reporting, the reporting about uh, us wanting to shut down the Line 5. I said, is it, is it being studied right now? Is the administration studying the impact? Of shutting down yeah. the line five. Yes, so. we are. <laughs> you might actually shut it down. That's what drives. That's why you have thirty-four uh, percent approval rating. That's why the vice president has twenty-seven percent approval rating. I don't remember anything like this in my life. You can't even have. You know, just just out of luck, you might hit a child actor that might have starred in one of her space videos that would have voted for her. But nobody likes either one of them. Not personally. No one cares about personality. It's all about actions. Your actions and lack of action is making our lives worse. That's what's troubling. So today on Fox and Friends, we had a worker who works on Line 5. And there is some updating and maintenance that needs to be done. And they're using this as an opportunity to possibly shut it down. Here's Justin Palmerville. Cut three. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact the workers in northern Michigan. There's, there's compressor stations all along this line that, that help push the, uh, the gas and the oil through the line. And um, I represent the northern 29 and a half counties of the lower peninsula of Michigan. So um, we, we typically work a couple hundred thousand man hours a year on this line and, and in these compressor stations. And they're good paying jobs in northern Michigan, which are, you know, it's a desolate area and it's a vast area and, they're, and it's good paying jobs that are hard to come by. Yeah, just get rid of it. Don't worry about it. You shut down the XL pipeline. You remember when the Colonial pipeline was hacked, what it did to the whole East Coast, the whole East Coast. Gas prices doubled. They were about 7 bucks in places in California at 7 bucks now. Now, there were things that happened in this world that stopped us. In the 70s, we were helpless. We are not helpless anymore. And I can't stress enough to you, I would rather not say this. I have no interest in Joe Biden's re-election or election or approval numbers. I only care about the country. And if he was doing things to keep the prices down while he tried to clean up our energy, I'm all ears. If there was innovation that would make sense, that wouldn't have an electric car powered by a coal plant, which they keep telling us is ruining the planet, if I could make sense of us not mining coal for America— while China is buying our coal from West Virginia, I was just there. Please tell me how, if we're going to share the planet with China and Russia, why they are gradually changing their economy into 2060. And this guy's doing it right now. Rick Perry was the energy secretary, is living in Texas, was governor for 12 years. Can't believe what he's seeing. Cut seven. We turned the United States into this incredible powerhouse uh, energy. We were selling liquefied natural gas into Europe. Uh, we were making a difference in the world, and this administration has turned it on its head in a short 10-plus months. Think about this. I mean, think about it in your life when you build something up, or if you, even if you sold a house and you go back to see the house that you were so proud of, that you maybe put the garage on yourself or remember ordering the dormers and you saw the way the roof was uh, uh, was perhaps situated and you come back and they just ruined it. So not only are we living in the same country, they're just ruining it. They are not touching, they're killing our energy sector. 
They're allowing inflation to take over every aspect of our lives. And then they come into our workplace and they say, you better get a vaccine or you're fired. And then when the courts say you can't do that, they say ignore it. Ignore the courts. When the courts say put the remain in Mexico policy back in place because what you did is not constitutional. And what's happening at the border is maniacal. 1.7 million illegals unvaccinated pouring across the border. And you're worried about some firefighter in New York City might not be double vaxxed as he's trying to save somebody from a burning building. If you had a border policy, I would love to debate it. But your border policy is to ignore it. When we come back, I take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. You see what I'm talking about? It's so easy to get off track because inflation and the spending program and links to oil and gas, links to the border, it's all one. I should have probably headlined it. Ignoring America's problems while trying to run America. I'm pretty sure that doesn't end up in any leadership pamphlets on how to run a country. Or I should say the headline would be, How to run a country into the ground. We can't let him. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform. And watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I've said all along that pipelines are an important infrastructure, just like roads and bridges. They got to be maintained. And this ain't something that just happened in the last couple of weeks. The energy company has known that that section's needed to be replaced. They've been working to trying to get it done for the last few years. It was only then. That, you know, the governor of Michigan and then environmental companies jump on it and they're looking for a reason just to completely shut it down. They're not interested in in keeping it running and replacing that section. They want the whole pipeline shut down. I mean, we can't let this happen. We cannot let this happen. This has to there's got to be some checks to this outlaw administration. You cannot in the middle of an energy crisis, which we help create. 
and we're not addressing our own needs. You cannot let him shut down another pipeline. Sean, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Well, I will be November 21st. Go to BrianKillMe.com or WDBO website and get tickets. Sean, can you believe this is taking place? Unfortunately, yes, Brian, I can. I mean, uh, we had that, you know, the, the dream infrastructure bill sitting in Congress for weeks. Now they want to complain, oh, we're going to shut down this pipeline because it hasn't been maintained. Well, that's great. You guys just passed this massive infrastructure bill. Send some of the money that way so we can keep this pipeline open. We can keep Americans employed so we don't handcuff ourselves and then make Saudi Arabia and Russia rich again. It's amazing. Uh, why would you do that? Uh, why would you uh, throw people into the street? with with? They have a skill. And it's appreciated in America. And then we did all these specials. We sent Carly Shimkus and other reporters out with the people that used to work on the XL pipeline. They got one day's notice they were out of a job. So where are they going to go? I thought he cared about the unions. When are the unions going to start pressuring for something for us instead of for some union executives? Sean, you're absolutely right. I will bring up that analogy. Take some of the infrastructure money and help out Michigan. The problem is your governor doesn't want to do it. Right. And by the way, the people that she wants to go run for re-election, the people of Michigan should let her know how they feel about it. That's probably our best hope. Roger in Tennessee. Hey, Roger. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Well, you know, you just said that there should be some checks and balances on this. And the Republicans in the Senate, 19 and 13 in the House, pushed it over the top. And only 10 percent, maybe 15, goes to hard, you know, hard infrastructure. I don't understand if you're looking for checks and balances and you're voting for Republicans, how come they're helping the Democrats push it over and it's not helping America? Listen, I hear you. Uh, I don't I don't get it. Uh, That's why I was saying that with the show, I, I wasn't exaggerating. I'm sitting there. I'm up at. You know, I'm up at 250. I'm in the car at 320 you know, 315, and I'm seeing all these issues, and I'm seeing seven major issues that are correctable. There's sometimes that things happen, clearly above my head, engineering, but when it comes to finance, I'm not running, you know, I'm not running Goldman Sachs for a reason. But I try to think like every man, how it affects us. But I see seven problems that I know I could fix, and I know you can fix. And I'm not even asking you if you're a Democrat or Republican. I'm asking you, are you an American? Mark, W-H-I-O in Ohio. Hey, Mark. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brian. Hey, what's um, on your mind there? Well, uh, the, the, the reason I called is that you, you made the comment of uh, about, about the uh, energy prices and things. Yes. These people in the White House and all the other people up there, they could care less. They don't pump fuel. They don't do it. They have spending accounts. It doesn't affect them. They don't see it. I know. They could care less. But, but then why are you running? If you're a politician, do you know what it, in theory it is? You're running for other people, not for you. And you're not running for your party. You're running for your constituents. The higher up, I know you got to speak broader. But I just spent yesterday with, with Tim Scott. And I was sitting there with he – he thinks local as well as national. He was a – he had all states. He had his own business. He had five all state units. He also was an investor. But he's meeting with restaurateurs. He's meeting, uh, he's meeting with hotel operators because he doesn't know anything about their business. He asked, what do you need? Do Democrats ever ask the people that vote for them what they need? No, because they're selfish. They run for themselves. They don't run for us. I'm not a Democrat. I, I, I'll be honest. I'm a, I'm a Republican, but it doesn't matter. They don't ask. 
they run for themselves. It's all selfish. Every bit of it. Uh, listen, that's why they hold on to the job for 50 years. Their whole identity is caught up in it. When their identity could be representing a nation in a key period of time, uh, in, a, in a, a key period of time, instead, it's all about spending now another $1.75 trillion in a nation that spent way too much money now. We didn't need the first $1.9 when he got into office. Incredible. It, it has nothing to do with our needs. Zero. Back in a moment with the man who wants to be the next governor of Texas. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Back in the United States, of course, some of our progress stalled when... My successor decided to unilaterally pull out of the Paris Agreement in his first year in office. I wasn't real happy about that. And yet, the determination of our state and local governments, along with the regulations and investment that my administration had already put in place, allowed our country to keep moving forward, despite hostility from the White House. Really? Uh, there were a lot of policies in place that allowed energy to burn cleaner, but we didn't cut our knee, cut our country out at the knees like this administration is. That is President Obama. He's looked at as a real rock star as the endless Glasgow summit continues where people come in in their private jets and tell everyone all the sacrifices they will make and make us pay the price. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West wants to be the next Texas, Texas governor. And first, he wants to get the Republican nomination off a sitting Republican governor. Not easy, but he doesn't like easy things. Colonel, what do you think about what President Obama just ca- how he characterized four years under Trump? Well, I tell you, and it's good to be with you, Brian, when you think about the fact that Barack Obama is the first U.S. president that never left Washington, D.C. after his term was over, that gives you an indicator of who's really pulling the strings of Joe Biden. And when you look at our oil and gas industry, when you look at the fact that a year ago we were energy independent, we were not going around begging OPEC to increase production. We had our production going on here. We were producing, consuming, and exporting. And now look at how Americans are being affected, not just the inflationary prices on grocery and commodities, but the uh, the gas prices that are really killing them. And so you think about what this whole Green New Deal and all of this climate change stuff is about. It's just another massive wealth redistribution scheme of the progressive socialist left. And so it is not a, a domestic redistribution scheme, which they already have, you know, and taxing the rich and what have you. But now we're supposed to be sending our taxpayer dollars to other people because we are about, you know, making sure that climate change happens. And here in Texas, uh, we're not too happy about the whole wind and solar thing because if you remember the deep freeze that we had this past February, it's all because we put 23% of our energy distribution and an unreliable source, wind and solar, and they let us down. At the point when we needed it to produce, they only produced 3%. And has do you know if some of these major firms have been asked to pump more because the supply is down and because the price is high? Because we have asked OPEC in Russia. Do you know, have mm-hmm. they reached out to, to firms in Texas? 
No, they have not. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a, a gentleman last night uh, in the oil and gas industry, and he's saying that, you know, they're really hurting. And uh, what is it, you know, the second and third order effects? You, you see a lot of the American workers having to be laid off or, you know, put on, you know, temporary uh, release to go home or whatever because that, that production is not happening. And so that's a big concern about what's going on. And now we hear about the Biden administration wants to shut down a pipeline in Michigan. But yet we're telling Vladimir Putin to continue on with his pipeline. We're going and begging OPEC. So this is about strangling the American people and making us more dependent upon unreliable uh, sources of energy. And look, you, we're about to go into winter and think about how that, what that's going to mean for heating oil prices for people, especially up north. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. New York Times today says expect it. And I want you to hear the most outrageous, smug, uh, uh, tone-deaf reaction to something real that affects everybody listening right now. So this is from an interview Jennifer Granholm did Friday on Bloomberg Cut 2. What is the Granholm plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. Would that I had the magic wand on this. As you know, of course, uh, oil is a global market. It is controlled by a cartel. That cartel is called OPEC. And they made a decision yesterday that they were not going to increase beyond what they were already planning. Okay. You want, you want to have at that? I mean, how angry does that yeah. make you? Well, it should infuriate every American because Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And so Jennifer Grantham, the Secretary of Energy, is laughing while we see the incredible strain and stress that's being put on American people. And she was the governor of Michigan. And now we have a pipeline in Michigan that's being shut down. And she just said that the uh, OPEC are, you know, cartels. Absolutely. They're despots and dictators. Uh, and so now we're going to beg them for more energy production, and they're holding us over a barrel, for, you know, pardon the pun, uh, and they are saying no. This reminds me of the Carter administration. But yet, you know, Barack Obama, going back to the opening clip, was up there chastising President Trump. But we were energy independent. We were energy independent, producing, consuming, and exporting our own resources. Americans were working. The gas prices were low. And look at where we are not, you know, 10, 11 months later. This is appalling, and this is disgusting. This is why the Democrats lost last Tuesday. This is why they're heading toward a political Armageddon next November. I hope so, uh, because if not, I don't think I don't know what our country's going to look like after. I was just thinking about this, Colonel. The, we have energy is a huge issue. Inflation is a tremendous issue. The spending is out of control. We watch our defense mm-hmm. uh, flatline. We watch the Afghanistan exit. We are uh, we are seeing the supply chain gummed up. We can't get a uh, we can't get a cargo ship unloaded. We can't get we're sixty thousand truck maybe eighty thousand truck drivers down. We have a ten million jobs open, and I don't see him attacking any plan. The border wide open, worst in all of yeah. our lifetimes. One point seven. Million people came through, 600,000 minimum have stayed, none of which I'm sure are vaccinated, yet we're trying to make sure a firefighter in Harlem makes sure he stops, he saves somebody from a burning building, he has to be double vaxxed. I'm looking at all these problems, and I don't understand no action on any of it. 
This is because it's all purposeful. It is intentional. This is the ideological agenda of the progressive socialist left. They won the White House, and this is what they're going to continue to press on. Look, after the losses last week, you didn't hear them say, you know, maybe we need to go back to the drawing board. They doubled down. They continue to talk about gender. They continue to talk about race. They continue to talk about climate change. They're not talking about any of those issues that you just mentioned. They continue to undermine the medical freedom and educational freedom of uh, American citizens. This, this is the direction that we're headed, and I think it is so important that we understand this clear delineation between who they are and what they want to do. And you just said, how long before we don't recognize these United States of America? That's why we've got to have strong and courageous individuals that stand up and push back against this agenda that they have. All right, Lieutenant Colonel Ann West, our guest, uh, Governor, on the Democratic side, it looks like Beto O'Rourke's going to announce that he is going to run for governor. Uh, Number one, you know, he was somebody that the New York Times, all these magazines thought would be a legitimate shot at the Democratic nominee. He imploded. Then he disappeared. Mm -hmm. And now he's coming back. Your thoughts about if you get the nomination going against him? Uh, I will tell you, going up against Robert Francis O'Rourke would be a dream because everything that you just talked about, the the leftist ideological agenda, that's what he stands for. And the people here in Texas don't want to see that. You even had Elon Musk chastising the folks down in Austin uh, because he's looking to move his Tesla headquarters there. He has a huge plant there to not allow Austin, Texas to become a a replication of uh, San Francisco. Uh, So we don't want that far leftist agenda here. We don't want his open borders plan. We don't want – we just passed constitutional care in Texas. We don't want to have someone as the governor of Texas that wants to take away people, especially then when they're talking about defunding police and the rampant crime that we have out on our streets. So Robert Francis O'Rourke, if he announces to be the Democrat uh, nominee for governor of Texas, they're going to suffer a massive defeat here. How is your campaign going? It is going absolutely great. Uh, I was down in – uh, kind of central uh, Texas yesterday in uh, Stephenville and Granbury is kind of the beginning of Texas Hill Country. Great times. I'll be up in Mount Pleasant, Texas, uh, East Texas tonight speaking. So the response is fantastic. And uh, I think that we're going to be in a great position as we come back out of the holiday season going into uh, 2022. And we'll just see when our primary actually is, if it's still going to be the first Tuesday in March because we're going through the redistricting and we'll see what kind of challenges, legal challenges that the Democrats bring to our redistricting. You know, what's what's interesting is this whole vax mandate is really uh, messing with the foundation of what the Democrats say is their base, because most minorities are the most skeptical about taking vaccines, and they are being autocratic in the way they're making even private businesses now defying court orders to get this vaccine. As you talk to people, because if you're in Austin with the wrong mayor, you might find yourself in the middle of a vaccine mandate. Are you seeing that maybe Democrats are oblivious to the fact that they're blowing up their base? No, you're absolutely right. And when you look at the numbers here in, in Texas, Joe Biden only has about a 32 to 34 percent approval rating in the Hispanic community. And you started to see a lot in the uh, black community peeling away because of what you just talked about, these onerous and intrusive policies. You know, I had the bout with COVID about three weeks ago and hadn't gotten a shot. Don't plan on getting a shot. But there's so many other therapies, treatments and protocols out there that we should be talking about instead of forcing people into going one certain direction. And we 
we just need to make sure that people have those things available to them. This is very totalitarian. It's very autocratic what we see coming down out of the Biden administration. And if we lose control of our bodies, if, if we cannot determine what we want injected into our bodies, then what do we really have control over? What, what aspect of our freedom do we really have? So I think that this is a defining moment, not just here in Texas, but across the country, uh, standing up to this unconstitutional mandate we're supposed to be governed by law, not ruled by mandate. And so I think that's an important thing that's going to be prevalent as we go into the 2022 cycle. Any lingering effects from getting the virus because you are not vaccinated? No, sir. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, again, I put in uh, about five, five and a half miles yesterday, another three, three and a half today. And then actually, I feel better with this monoclonal ant- uh, antibody infusion therapy. Uh, I'm taking the D3, the calcium, also zinc. So uh, I feel great. Um, did you have a confrontation at the airport? Yeah, some you know person decided to use an expletive and refer to me as an idiot because in the airport, uh, you know, there is no law that says you have to wear a mask. I had gotten off that plane. I was heading out the exit. And this person decided to call me a blankety-blank idiot, and I asked him, uh, you know, will you apologize? Why did you call me an idiot? And I did snatch the uh, mask down off of his face. And I am not going to allow myself to be bullied, intimidated, threatened, or coerced by these leftists. And I think it's time for Americans to stand up and say, you know, stop trying to infringe upon my freedom. I can make the right decisions for my body and for myself. Just for the the health of every American listening, do not confront Alan West if you want to become out victorious. I want to bring you to the Aaron Rodgers story before I let you go. Yeah. Uh, he decides, uh, I'm allergic to mRNA uh, some elements in that. I don't want the Johnson & Johnson. He heard about some negative uh, comments. We've all seen the blood cot stories. So he said, I'm going to go a different direction, talk to Joe Rogan and others. Here's what he said, cut 19. Are you vaccinated, and what's your stance on, on vaccinations? Yeah, I've been immunized. You know, there's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. Uh, I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge those guys. All right, uh, but he went on to say uh, this, cut 20. First of all, I didn't lie in the initial press conference. Uh, during that time, it was a very uh, witch hunt uh, that was going on across the league where everybody in the media was so concerned about who was vaccinated and who wasn't and what that meant and who was being selfish and who would talk about it and what it meant if they said it's a personal decision. They should, shouldn't have to disclose their own uh, medical information and whatnot. And at the time, my plan was to say that I've been immunized. It wasn't uh, some sort of ruse or lie. It was the truth. Stephen A. Smith went after him. Uh, Cut 26. I'm ashamed of him right now. You came across as a national embarrassment. There is no other way around it. It was the most embarrassing performance of Aaron Rodgers' career. And Terry Bradshaw joined in at Shannon Sharp. Uh, So many others were extremely critical of Aaron Rodgers as if he was the one going 165 miles an hour drunk, killing someone in Las Vegas. You would think this guy had uh, taken a knee during the national anthem. I'm sorry, that gets you praise. So what is your reaction to the reaction in the sports world now trying to cancel Aaron Rodgers? Well, the thing is that we are getting uh, moving toward a bifurcated society. 
where people believe that you must, you know, kowtow and kneel down to these mandates, edicts, orders, and decrees, uh, and we see the usurpation of individuals' rights, freedoms, and liberties. And I will tell you that the most embarrassing national thing that I have seen was what happened in Afghanistan. I didn't hear any of these uh, figures speaking out about that, how we abandoned Americans, how 13, you know, Marine soldier and a sailor lost their lives, $85 billion worth of equipment. So I think it's very important that people start to realize what's important in the United States States of America. It's not about throwing a football. It's about protecting our rights, our freedoms, and our liberties. And let me say something before you go, Brian. You did an excellent job, and I really appreciate the uh, showing the relationship between Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. And one of the things we have to be appalled about, remember in Rochester, New York, this past, last summer, they tore down the statue of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was an incredible man. Frederick Douglass is a role model for all of us, how he came out of slavery, and he stood up and made sure that people like myself could be free and speaking on the radio with you. Thank you. Uh, I love doing this special. Uh, it was on 10 o'clock. Now it's on Migrated to Fox Nation. And Frederick Douglass, uh, every reason to hate the country, but he loved the country, and he made it significantly better place. And he was a Republican. Not many people want to remember yeah. that. And so was that other guy named Lincoln. Uh, not many people realize that. He was the first. Uh, Colonel, thanks so much. I appreciate you saying that, and best of luck. Always a pleasure. Take care, Brian. You got it. And uh, and if you believe in Colonel West, do you think he's going to be the next great governor of Texas, I give to his campaign. Uh, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. More than 30,000 people were locked inside Shanghai Disneyland after one visitor tested positive for covid so let this be a lesson to all you kids out there. If you aren't more careful about COVID, you'll end up living at Disney World. Pretty funny. Uh, that was SNL, uh, where I understand they did a very hysterical abortion skit. I watched some of it online. People think that this woman should get an Emmy for this. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. When, what has happened to that show? Uh, but real quick, I'd like to thank everybody that came out and met me in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Allison was there, of course. We saw hundreds of people, thousands, I should say. It was amazing. They had, did a great job at that book festival there. And then we came out in West Virginia. Some drove eight hours uh, to come watch uh, the whole President Freedom Fighter show. Where I talked about all our books in American history. And there's a war in American history. So uh, no, on American history specifically, so I'm able to talk about that in a way and then be able to interact and, and take questions was, was fantastic. It almost reminded me of this show with the live element, hearing what people have to say, and then the difference was people would build on each other's questions. So that was fantastic. And then tomorrow night I'm going to be at the R.J. Julia uh, in Connecticut. So if you're in the area, go there. It's the only time I'm going to go to Connecticut. I know people are a little bit wary about going to bookstores. I'm not going to give a big presentation, but I will be able to sign and personalize. And let's be honest, there's nobody else getting Christmas presents. All of our gifts are stuck on barges. Thursday in Doylestown, and then Friday in Albany. Uh, go to briankillme.com at Starverson Plaza. I want first time we're ever going upstate. We've got some, so many great stations upstate in Albany and Capital District. So I cannot wait and uh, go to go back up there and then going over to 
uh, the big noise event in South Bend, Indiana. So that'll be over the next four days, chance to see you in person, the president of Freedom Fighter, uh, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, the battle to save America's soul. So I appreciate everyone uh, coming out and who watched the special on Sunday. That whole special will migrate over to Fox Nation, unedited, no commercials, another reason to get that app. So when you go into a conversation about American history, you'll have five great examples of uh, America. Uh, great from the start. Uh, also, I understand the 1619 Project, not only was it a series in the magazine, not only is it a curriculum, it'll soon be a book. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Jonathan Turley is going to be with us shortly, uh, and we're going to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney. For Jonathan Turley, two-prong attack. We're going to talk about what are the chances of having OSHA go ahead and mandate vaccines for businesses with over, over 100, and evidently they're targeting smaller business under 100. So they want the whole country vaccinated or you're fired. They want them to do that. Uh, yet yeah, it's been uh, there's been a stay put on it by the 5th District. So what does that mean? Uh, where do we go from here? As Mitch Daniels wrote today, and I believe in the Washington Post, they all kind of blend together. He said, it seems as though this administration's uh, ignoring of the courts is dangerous for the country. They're ignoring the Remain in Mexico uh, mandate from the... Uh, from the courts. And this one in particular, they say, hey, private business, mandated anyway. Ignore the court. Really? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If the American people didn't like how fast the Democratic agenda was progressing, why did they reward the party that was opposing it? It's not just Biden's approval rating falling generally. It's falling with those specific groups that helped him win office in the first place. Joe Biden gets sobering approval numbers, and only Harris is all worse by ten points. That's what uh, that's what uh, that's what says for his. What does that say for his plans on spending us into terminal debt and dependence? Number two. During that time, it was a very uh, witch hunt uh, that was going on across the league, where everybody in the media was so concerned about who was vaccinated and who wasn't. My plan was to say that I've been immunized. It wasn't uh, some sort of ruse. Or lie, it was the truth. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, can you believe it? He's enemy number one now. Mandate mania. Ensnared Aaron Rodgers as the sports world goes bonkers because of the Packers quarterback. Vague answers on the vax question. Why Rodgers is right and how State Farm makes me feel as though it's coming, uh, cancel culture is coming to an end. Number one. Why is the administration now <laughs> considering shutting down the Line 5 pipeline from Canada to Michigan? So, Peter, uh, that is inaccurate. Is it being studied right now? Is the administration studying the impact of shutting down yeah. the Line 5? Yes, so- we are. Yeah. <laughs> Energy. Biden is doing his best to raise oil and gas prices, and it's affecting everyone. No joke. I'll explain. With me right now is Jonathan Turley. Uh, Jonathan do you are you concerned about the administration ignoring, for example, two major rulings? 
Well, there is a rising concern if they're going to double down on this bet when you have uh, these countervailing uh, rulings. What people need to understand is that the courts are grappling with a, a really novel question here, that the Biden administration and President Biden himself made clear that he wanted to impose a national mandate directly through an executive order. And many of us wrote at the time, so we need to tell him he doesn't have that authority. And apparently someone did, including the White House counsel. And so they went to Plan B, which was this creative use of OSHA. The problem is they couldn't put it through rulemaking uh, because then they'd have to answer a lot of questions. It takes a lot of time. So they used what's called an ETS, which is basically an emergency rule. And it's really designed when you have some type of toxic chemical or sudden uh, danger in the workplace. But the language of the regulation refers to things that are in the workplace like toxic chemicals. It's, it doesn't really fit well with we think everyone should be vaccinated to protect them. And that's what the Fifth Circuit's <laughs> grappling with. You know, that's why they're saying, look, there's some serious questions here, because if OSHA has the authority to have a national mandate for vaccines, then they could do that for anything that basically makes things better. You know, they could impose any vaccination mandate. They could require any other issue that they consider uh, to be inimical or harmful to workers. So. This could end up in front of the Supreme Court, and this is not the Supreme Court you necessarily want to go in front of, because this is a court that's very skeptical over a case called Chevron, which is a case that gives great deference to agencies. This thing is really tailor-made for justices like Gorsuch, who have been hunting Chevron for years. I want you to hear what Ron Klain said. He does not agree with you. Cut 15. These vaccine requirements have been litigated up and down the courts all over the country. State requirements, for example, one in Maine. Uh, and every single court before this one ruled that they were valid. I'm quite confident that when this finally gets fully adjudicated, not just a temporary order, right. uh, the, the validity of this requirement will be upheld. It's common right. sense, Chuck. If OSHA can tell people to wear a hard, hard hat on the job, right. to be, be careful on chemicals, it can put, put in place these simple measures to keep our workers safe. Well, I mean, do you think these, these lower court rulings apply here? Well, I'm not so sure, but actually he's making the case for the challengers. That's not the argument you want to make, that this is like hard hats. Hard hats involve... Uh, dangers at an individual site. That's what OSHA is about. What he's doing, what the administration is doing, is using OSHA to push forward a national mandate they want to apply to everyone to get vaccines. And it's not clear how it's going to come out. I expect there will be a division of, of courts. That's why that type of split makes it more likely to go to the Supreme Court. There are arguments you can make that the statute is so broadly written that anything could be required as a workplace safety issue. But the court has said in the past it doesn't like those types of broad interpretations. Unbelievable. I, I want to get to another area of expertise, which uh, I'm really intrigued by. Uh, you know, for the last four years, we've been dominated by this Russia story, and now everyone's ignoring it. And uh, not you. And now we're seeing this slow John Durham beginning to surface with different names. And you're able to put this puzzle together better than anyone. And the latest one is Denchenko. 
So he is a guy from the Brookings Institute who managed to figure in with a Clinton, uh, a longtime uh, Clinton aide, would you say, former advertising executive, uh, Chuck Dolan, who manages to have uh, Chuck Dolan has links to Russia. And it looks as though more and more the Steele dossier, which Duchenko helped assemble to give to Christopher Steele, and on some way we're getting reports that he never said this was in empirical evidence. He says this is a collection of statements and intelligence not to be assembled and taken as rule of law or to be hardcore fact. And the dossier and Dinchenko, uh, the Durham is trying to unwind. How is this puzzle coming together from your perspective and where is it heading? Well, these indictments taken together present a very detailed uh, mosaic. And this is new information that was not disclosed by Mueller. And the connection with Dolan is really quite interesting. You know, he's got very close ties to Hillary Clinton. He worked on her campaigns uh, as a close advisor. He also has close ties to the Russian government. He was representing the Russian government. He was doing their PR work. And so he is described in Moscow in this indict- latest indictment as meeting with some of these Russians, uh, some of whom are paying his firm, and he's putting together a lot of these allegations. Now, that's tr- particularly troubling because we know that American intelligence early on said that the Steele dossier looked like it might be a vehicle for Russian intelligence to spread disinformation and that it was relying on at least one suspected uh, Russian intelligence agent. And so this is beginning to come together, and it's clear that Durham believes that the Steele dossier was the product of the Clinton campaign and that the FBI, uh, at least some of them were duped. Others seem to be willing to be duped. And then you have this curious role of the Brookings Institution, uh, which, which makes this sort of like a Kevin Bacon game of six degrees of separation. When you look at each of these individuals, they all have these bizarre direct or indirect ties to Brookings. You know, you know, Dechenko worked for Brookings. He was introduced to Steele by Fiona Hill, who was the witness in the impeachment uh, proceeding, and she also worked at Brookings. Uh, uh, Strobe Talbot, the head of Brookings, is referenced in the indictment as playing a role in pushing the dossier and getting people together. It's layer after layer of connections, not just to the Clinton campaign, but to Brookings Institution, which is a liberal think tank with close ties to Clinton. It's amazing, too. So they want to get this going to get heat off the email scandal, which Hillary Clinton brought upon herself. And then we know got reinvigorated with the discovery of Uma Abedin, of, of Wiener's laptop, Uma Abedin, the aide to Clinton's uh, then husband at the time, disgraced as he was. And then they come forward and say, we're reopening that investigation when they wanted that to go away. And the big focus being Trump's ties to Russia. So the Trump ties to Russia fall apart. The Mueller probe was unable to do it. What Durham's able to do slowly in a slow, deliberate way is reassemble the origins of the Russia mania and how this whole link with Trump really took off. And the other question is, we know it's linked to Hillary Clinton. Sooner or later, she's going to have to answer questions. I'm wondering, if the Russians see this happening, are they throwing all this red meat fiction at the Clinton campaign who are trying to dig up information on Trump and the Russians more than happy to 
give them what they want. So they think think they got something, and they're coming forward with all this stuff that's unverified. The Russians can't believe how well it's working. And next thing you know, it not only uh, it not only uh, doesn't stop Trump. The the invest this whole investigation on Trump continues through his four years of president of the United States, or three and a half. Oh, I think Putin is just still laughing his head off about how successful this operation was. Uh, but the other thing that's fascinating is that, of course, Hillary Clinton has not been pressed by the media, and specifically, the media tries not to mention in coverage that President Obama was briefed by American intelligence that they were reporting that Hillary Clinton had decided to create a Russian collusion. Wait, wait a second. So U.S. intelligence under Obama met with then-President Obama with a couple of weeks left and said, by the way, I want to tell you what's happening here. Yeah, and they said that this was an effort to sort of get people away from the email scandal, and they were going to create a Russian collusion story. Well, that was just literally three days before the dossier ended up being pushed around Washington, getting into the Justice Department. It's a very close nexus. And now we find out that all these connections to the Clinton campaign, not just in creating the dossier and funding it, which the Clinton campaign, by the way, denied that it funded the dossier. It came out later that that was false. But now we're, according to Durham, some of these figures like Dolan appear to be the possible source for some of the most salacious uh, aspects of the dossier that have been debunked. So when you indict Denchenko, does he talk? Does he say, yeah, I'm not the problem? I mean, is that what they're hoping for? I mean, he, as you say, he's not the type of person that you stop an investigation on. He's someone you walk over, you know, you, you keep and you keep moving forward and up and with more important people. Yeah, this is one of those situations. You hit him with five counts, each of which has a five-year maximum for jail. It concentrates his mind. It also concentrates the mind of other possible uh, defendants that, but for the grace of God and John Durham, go, I. And so, you know, this can have an effect. Now, looming out there is we still don't know the role of Russian intelligence behind all of these operations. So that may be a chilling effect on people who want to cooperate, but he has every incentive personally to look at what he can offer John Durham. So, Stuart, what's next? I mean, Durham was appointed by President Trump uh, during the Trump years, appointed by Attorney General Barr. So he gets financing for another year to do this investigation. Who's his boss, and when, what is he responsible to do? Well, there's two questions. One is, is he done with indictments? I'm not convinced he is. We have to wait and see. The second thing is, will his special report, his special counsel report, be made public, um, or will it be withheld or redacted in large part? That's going to be the big test for Attorney General uh, Garland. Uh, You know, Bill Barr said um, before the Mueller report was released that he wanted it released um, to the greatest extent possible. And in fact, the delay in releasing the report was due to Mueller, that he told Mueller, go ahead and identify the grand jury material so we don't have to delay this, because he said, I don't want to have to summarize the report. I just want to release your report. And Mueller just didn't do it. 
they didn't identify the grand jury material, which by law they're not allowed to release publicly. And so that's what delayed it. And then Barr was forced to summarize what was in the report. Got it. Unbelievable how this thing has changed and how a certain segment of the media just stopped covering the Russia scandal. Uh, Last question. I just are you astounded? I'm astounded on a daily basis, even though I shouldn't be. I am just because how successful this has been. The, what 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 the Clinton people have done here is amazing. They got the media to buy into the scandal, so that they now can't really acknowledge the full extent in which they were wrong, which they were duped. Like the Washington Post came out recently and said, "Okay, our reporting on the Steele dossier appears to be wrong," but they still have two Pulitzers based on that, <laughs> I believe. But also, uh, most of the media is just giving sort of brief attention to this, not the 24-7 attention that they gave. And consider the fact that what Durham is suggesting is that a political gotcha. party arranged a scandal and may have been the vehicle of Russian disinformation. Amazing. And the coverage is minimal. Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. We're not letting it go, and, and you sure, certainly aren't. Uh, Jonathan Turley, thank you. We come back to your calls. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Alex, this is on WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex, thanks for your patience. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. So this morning on Fox and Friends, yeah, Pete Hexett asked people what their biggest concern was when it came to this recent election. And I don't know about other people, but my biggest issue with this Biden administration is the fact that they don't respond to arguments made by people that oppose what they're doing. When it comes to critical race theory, they're just denying it. And when it comes to the vaccine, they they shut down debate on you know through big tech and they censor you when you disagree with a mandate and people that say that they have for health reasons they can't take the vaccine the Biden administration is not saying that they shouldn't take it or explaining why they should take it and for people like me that have antibodies when there's studies that show that if you have antibodies you're even better off than taking the vaccine they're not responding to me why I should take it and they're saying that they're just going to mandate it that's a big concern when there's no open debate they could do whatever they want and I'm glad that people are waking up and just like we saw in Virginia. And, you know, one of the biggest things that this Virginia race showed me is that even people that believe that the 2020 election was stolen, not every blue-run state has a corrupt election system. So we stand a chance in this midterm election to win back the Senate, the House, and in 2024, the presidency as well. Uh, there's no doubt about it on just pure merit. Uh, get the right candidate in there. Have the right issues real. And culture wars is a real issue when it comes to what your kids are taught. That's not a fake culture war, trumped-up culture war. Is it a trumped-up culture war when you want 1619 to be the birthplace of the country? That's a culture war. That's also flat-out inaccurate and destructive, but they're doing it again. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What did you and what did Republicans learn, if anything, from now Governor-elect Youngkin's campaign? 
Well, I've been I've been trying to say it for a long time, and he's he just did it. Happy warriors attract a bigger crowd. That politics is a game of addition. That talking about education is something that we as Republicans should always focus on. Having parental involvement is key. I've talked about the importance of school choice and education equality for a long time. He has run on those issues that the that resonate with the average person in this country. If we were to win in 2022 and beyond, we're going to have to just talk plain English to our folks. And when we do, when we champion the causes that they believe in the most, we're going to be okay. Well, and you also, that was the day I spent with Tim Scott yesterday and Saturday. I had to miss this show. I felt terrible. But uh, to be able to do that, just get a slice of his life and bring it back to you. Here's the good news. We're going to get exclusively to radio the entire sit-down portion of the interview with the senator who's got $8 million uh, for his campaign that he's supposed to have a walk six more years as senator. Remember when he had that rebuttal address to to, to President Biden's first State of the Union or first addressing both the uh, joint session of Congress? And his rebuttal was so great and so contrasting. People say this guy could be president. The way that I found with Tim Scott, in particular of South Carolina— is that uh, it doesn't he doesn't have to be president. A lot of these guys and these women, I gotta I gotta get the next job. I gotta get the governors. I gotta win the Senate. I gotta get on this committee. I gotta be in the majority. Then I gotta be president, like Ted Cruz. Uh, and who knows, he might be. But you look at Ted Cruz every day he wants to be president. Tim Scott might end up being president, but it's not because he needs to be. But everybody that's around him is amazed at his dedication and his purity and is willing to learn. So that's why he only spent two years in the House. That's why he got immediately nominated to fill in for Jim DeMint when Jim DeMint left and went to another job, the Heritage Foundation in New York City. He goes, I recommend Tim Scott. So Trey Gowdy said, don't look at me. Look at Tim Scott. And he got the job. And after two years, he ran for election and he won pretty easily. And then he's about to get, I think, another another six years. So that's you're going to get that exclusive interview with him as we look at this uh, Donald Trump world. If you want to run for president and you're not for Donald Trump, you might be able to win. If you're against Donald Trump, you have no shot as a Republican or a Democrat. As a Democrat, that's that's a given. But as a Republican, you'll never do it. You'll never get there. You just see you might think you're the best candidate, the most equipped with the most experience. If you're anti-Trump, don't get the nomination. You're probably going to be primaried if you're in the House. And maybe those 13 that voted against the bipartisan infrastructure bill might feel, and I think he's made it pretty clear, President Trump's wrath. However, if Glenn Youngkin said, Donald Trump's my man, I want him on the stump with me, let's go campaign together, he would have lost. So how do you navigate that in this environment? Number one, it's going to be a lot easier to run against Joe Biden than it was this time than last time because everyone sees how terrible he is. That's why he's got 30 Seven percent uh, um, approval rating. That is god awful. Considering nobody's even taking him to task, we're pretending like he makes sense in any of his speeches. That his ridiculous walkbacks on his statements at his press conference make sense when he doesn't even know we're selling nuclear submarines to Australia against without telling France, or that we're going to pay four hundred fifty thousand dollars to illegal immigrants who were separated allegedly from their parents. And now we see the mass mandate that he's, um, excuse me, the vaccine mandate that he said would never happen. He is now spending all of his time enforcing it and dividing the American people. Dr. Scott Gottlieb is only a phone call away, President Biden. He looked at, he was a former FDA commissioner. He's got a best-selling book on the whole pandemic mistakes we made that we still have in place. 
This is the state of the game. In the number one issue for Joe Biden, which, by the way, he got the answer to this question when President Trump's administration able to come up with the vaccine, but more deaths this year than last year. Cut 18. I think that we're close to the end of the pandemic phase of this virus and we're going to enter a more endemic phase. And as things improve, cases may pick up. And I think we're close to the end of this. This Delta wave is the last major wave of infection. We've always said that two of the events that would demarcate the end of this pandemic was being able to vaccinate our children. We're now able to do that down to age five and also having a widely available or orally accessible drug that could treat coronavirus at home Mm -hmm. to prevent people from being hospitalized or dying. And we now have two of those potential pills, one from Pfizer and one from Merck, and there will be more behind that. Yeah, we'll see. I know they're going to hate the pills because they can't track it. And if you can't track it, you can't come down on it and ban it. Hey, I took my pill. Well, let's see. Let's check your blood and see where your antibodies are. That's all we're asking. That would be a great trick. So what has astounded me, and I've been unable to get on the radio since because this Aaron Rodgers story really took root after I left the air on Friday, and I didn't think it would be that big because I always thought he was untouchable. I mean, he, Tom Brady, best quarterbacks in the league for the last 15, 20 years, the only guy that could make uh, a city like Green Bay forget about Brett Favre instantly. That's how good he is. He might even been better than Favre. You make the call. But when he comes out and says, yeah, I didn't really get the shot. I got immunized, uh, and I just, I'm allergic to the mRNA technology, and I, the Johnson & Johnson makes me feel uneasy. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's coming out against him. Listen to angry. I never heard Terry Bradshaw this angry. Cut 25. I'd give Aaron Rodgers some advice. It would have been nice if he'd have just come to the Naval Academy and learn how to be honest. Yeah. Learn not to lie, because that's what you did, Aaron. You lied to everyone. I understand immunized. What you were doing was taking stuff that would keep you from getting COVID-19. You got COVID-19. Ivermectin is a cattle dewormer. Sorry, folks. That's what it is. We are a divided nation politically. We're a divided nation on the COVID-19, whether or not to take the vaccine. And unfortunately... We've got players that pretty much think only about themselves, and I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers. I don't understand where he's getting from. Number one, ivermectin is 2015, won all types of awards because it's given to adults. You have different type of uh, these uh, adult human beings. You have different type that is giving to veterinarians to treat uh, uh, cattle, like he's saying. That happens all the time in medicine. We, they're used for two different purposes, different dosages, but different bastardizations of the same drug. So why are you pretending as if you know? Also, if Terry Bradshaw can lecture Aaron Rodgers because if he knows more, why should anyone listen to an athlete? Period. So Terry Bradshaw is, is uh, ministering to Aaron Rodgers. He's the expert. Well, if Aaron Rodgers goes to seek an expert's advice and comes up with that, if anyone knows Aaron Rodgers, he's meticulous in his research. If you watched him host Jeopardy, it's almost as if he could have answered all of those questions. If you see him prepare for a game and watch him behind center, you know how bright he is. So to think that he's going to do something that is going to get his body, uh, uh, put it in trouble, I think it, he's not going to do it. So therefore, he says, I'm going to say I'm, I'm, I'm immunized. And that's what he said. Jack Brewer has a counter uh, to Terry Bradshaw. Jack Brewer played eight years in the NFL. He's the CEO of the Brewer Group, cut, cut 31. 
It's absolutely ridiculous. This man can make his own decisions for his own body. Uh, I just don't understand it. There, there hasn't been a single NFL or collegiate player even hospitalized from the coronavirus. And so for everyone to be jumping over these professional athletes who seem to know how to take care of their body pretty well, yeah. uh, given the fact that they're the healthiest people on, on, the, on the planet, uh, it's just ridiculous. Here's what Rogers said, too. The league knew about it. Cut 23. It was not, again, something that the league didn't know about. The league was fully aware of it upon my return to the Packers. And it was at that point that I petitioned them to accept my immunization status uh, as under their vaccination protocol. So here's what I'm glad about. You know how I feel about it. I'm pro-vaccine. I'm totally against the mandate. If you ask me if I took it, yes. If I had after effects, no. Have I been with 2,000 people over the last five days? Yeah. Uh, from Think about all the planes I've been on. I've been on four planes. Uh, I met in five different events where I don't know anybody except maybe the people, Allison and two other people I'm with. And I didn't get it before there was a vaccine. I didn't get it since. Consider myself lucky. But I got to live my life. I am not telling you to do what I did. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But if I recommend this vaccine to you and you have a bad reaction, like I know some of my friends have had, I would feel terrible, especially if this could, some of the damage could be permanent. What I love is the State Farm is standing by Aaron Rodgers, not jumping ship because the man that they chose to endorse their product over the last few years did something with a vaccine that some people like Terry Bradshaw, Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, uh, and others in the NFL are upset about. They said, okay, we disagree when it comes to the vaccine. To paraphrase, we like Aaron Rodgers. Maybe this is the beginning of the end of the whole boycott, cancel, you're on your own, I can't be a part of your world anymore. Shannon Sharp, Cut 28. Money doesn't mean anything to the Packers. It doesn't mean anything to these organizations because they make so much of it. The only thing that matters to them, the capital that that bothers them, the currency that means something, is draft capital. When you start taking draft picks, I'm not saying they should lose a first rounder, but if you want to take a second rounder or a third round draft pick, that would get Green Bay's attention. Okay, we'll see. You ask me, if you think Aaron Rodgers, who want the natural way rather than get a vaccine, is the only one of the NFL... Good luck with that. And if your athlete quarterback ends up doing something different than getting the vaccine, you're going to take a draft pick away? Please. When we come back, I'm going to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney, Varney and Company, and think of 1 408 7669. I'll take some calls just on the back end. You're not going to believe this California school story, or maybe you will. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Stuart Varney's going to be coming with us shortly. We'll be able to simulcast on uh, on their show. And uh, I'll be on the 7 o'clock show talking about the President of Freedom Fighter uh, tonight uh, with primetime. 
I'm pretty sure Lawrence Jones is hosting, and he was kind enough to read the book and interview me actually on Fox and Friends to do it. Uh, meanwhile, Stuart Varney wants to talk about this California school uh, situation. You're not going to believe it. Uh, and what has to do with Fox News, as well as uh, the role that Trump should play in 2022 and 24. Here on the, uh, on the East Coast, that means it's time for Brian Kilmeade. All right, Brian, former President Trump says he'll announce his 2024 plans after the midterms next year. What role do you think Trump should play in 2022 and 2024? Well, it's fascinating. Number one, you know what the verdict is going to be on social media? Do you know Donald Trump's popularity has gone up since he left Twitter and, and, and Facebook? Even though they said Facebook gave him the 2016 election, the way he was able to micro-target uh, the Trump group and the Trump fans. And I'm not saying Brad Parscale didn't do a great job, but his popularity has gone up. And everything that his people close to him tried to say is, Mr. President, I know you got a lot of followers. Easy on Twitter. Easy on Facebook. We don't need you weighing in on all these issues. It really hurt him. But he couldn't see it because he was getting such a reaction. I think now he sees it. So if he has a position in 2022 or 24, he won't, there will be no scenario where he doesn't play a major role. The question is, will it be for him? And for 2022, you have to really pick your spots because there are purple areas where he'll do more harm than good. There are red areas where he's going to pick the, the right candidate, which I'm not too sure I feel comfortable with the president picking that. I'd rather have just the best candidate win out for that individual district. But I think afterwards, I think he's going to announce uh, after 2022, and I think the Republicans will be successful, at the very least in the House, although the news about Sununu uh, not running for the Senate that just came out is going to hurt their chance to take it back to the Senate because he would have been a layup in that Senate seat and would have flipped it. But having said that, uh, if the Republicans are on a roll like they are right now, I think he's in. If some reason he doesn't, that would be other thing. If there's something personal and professional that comes out in his private world, that would stop him. But I think all right now, all indications are he's running. And if he does run, the only person that would get in is a Governor Hogan and maybe a, a Governor Chris Christie. The rest, I don't see. I just spent yesterday with Tim Scott. There's no way he would get in, uh, in my opinion, from what he said. And you'll see it tomorrow uh, if he's in. Pompeo, Mike Pence, doesn't make any sense for any of these guys. Nikki Haley, they're not going to get in if Trump wants to get in. But for Trump... But for Trump, you'd say, I th I'm reading between the lines, Brian, I think you would say, tone it down. I said it yesterday. Change your approach with the, the, the vigorous insults. Stuart, you're not the same host you were at that other network. Don't you feel like you try to get better on a daily basis? You get feedback, you grow, and if you don't, you lose your job? I think that the president, if he's going to come back, yeah. he's got to tone it down. Because it's, even if he's 100% right, it's not good for the country. The country is on 10-plus for four years, his big fans and his big uh, opponents. And I don't think it's good for anybody. And I think there's a way to govern that we don't have to go over the top every single day on every single issue. And I think that if he's going to come back and be Grover Cleveland Part 2, I think he's got to come back with a toned-down approach. He doesn't have anything to prove. He knows he could do the job. Let's see if he could do it in a way that, that brings in others, independents, suburban women, as well as got some it. Democrats. I'm sure you saw this, Brian. A California high school asked students a multi-choice question. It asked for them to pick out a group of complete idiots. The choices were the KKK, all of Florida, Fox News, or Texans. What's happening to our schools, Brian? Well, I'm, I'm very heartened that they, instead of writing Brian Kilmeade, they wrote Fox News, so we're all under the umbrella. I'm pretty sure I, I should have been on there. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's, it's callous. It's ridiculous. It's cavalier. 
It's an in-your-face. This was online. This is screen capture. Now it's gone viral to national story, and the school, the Whitney High School, is going to investigate. What are you investigating? This guy, this is the second time at least he's done something like this, and he's defiant in doing it. And he's using kids to say, okay, can you imagine any other questions are out there? Can you imagine if this guy is an essay to grade? And they say, what's your opinion on how to handle X, Y situation? And if that kid writes a conservative point of view, can you imagine what that kid has gotten? You think this is the only situation? My goodness, what are you investigating? This should be an instant in or out. A suspension, if you've had a warning, you should be gone. That's a coveted position in a very nice area in California. Believe me, it pays well. There's a lot of people that want that job. I don't think he deserves it. But sadly, this is the right, he's, he's erring on, on the right side, and that's the yep. left. Brian, we are in agreement on all issues today. Thanks, Brian. We'll see you again real soon. Good stuff. Uh, go get Still him ahead. Soon, Thank Sandra you. Smith. All right, Jeff's listening on KQNA in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Hey, Jeff. Hey, good morning, Brian. I love how you put down how you stated why you got the vaccine and it was your personal choice. I, I respect that to no end. Thank you. Uh, 23-year 20, 20, current firefighter that's been on this in the front line with the nurses, with the doctors from day one, two years ago. This COVID, nobody knew what it was. It was scary. It was, I, I got to admit, I came real close to getting the vaccine because they said you will not get it. It will protect you. It's not going to, you're not going to bring it home. I didn't do it. We fast forward. Here we are two years later. I haven't been vaccinated. I've been on probably 2,000 people minimum. As we go on these calls, seven to eight out of 10 people have been vaccinated who have COVID, 70 to 80%. I haven't had COVID. Half our department hasn't had COVID. They haven't been vaccinated, half of our department or more. What's going on? Yeah, they say, well, you know, if you do get it, they're going to be mild symptoms. I mean, uh, they say that you are more susceptible to get it, six times more susceptible to get it uh, if you're not vaccinated as opposed to when you are vaccinated. Uh, but until they go ahead and start testing for natural immunity, they say we're worried about natural immunity when it comes to durability. Don't tell me you understand the durability of a vaccine that was invented nine months ago. So that's a bad argument or 12 months ago. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Big hour coming your way with two diverse guests. Kimberly Strassel, Potomac Watch columnist for the Wall Street Journal, uh, and she is the author of Resistance at All Costs, How Trump Haters Are Breaking America. That's been out. She's also all over the Durham probe and what, what is revealing about the Clinton dossier and more. At the bottom of the hour, the greatest leader I've ever seen in sports, bar none. Even if you're not the biggest hockey fan, you know the name Mark Messier. Played till he was 43 years old, Hall of Fame hockey player, six-time Stanley Cup champ, has a book out now. And I think you'll really enjoy it because the things that he talks about will help you in everything that you do. 
uh, you probably just aren't as, you're probably not going to win a Stanley Cup, but join the club. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If the American people didn't like how fast the Democratic agenda was progressing, why did they reward the party that was opposing it? It's not just Biden's approval rating falling generally. It's falling with those specific groups that helped him win office in the first place. He's 36% approval. His vice president's 27. And every media outlet except a handful gives him a free pass. That's how bad he's doing. Joe Biden gets sobering approval numbers. And only Harris's are worse. What does that say about his plans to spend us into terminal debt and dependence? Number two. During that time, it was a very uh, witch hunt uh, that was going on across the league where everybody in the media was so concerned about who was vaccinated and who wasn't. My plan was to say that I've been immunized. It wasn't uh, some sort of ruse or lie. It was the truth. And he says the league knew about it. That's Aaron Rodgers. Mandate mania ensnared him as the sports world goes bonkers because the Packers great is vague about his answers on vaccinations. Why Rogers is right and why State Farm gives me hope. Number one. Why is the administration now considering shutting down the Line 5 pipeline from Canada to Michigan? So, Peter, uh, that is inaccurate. Is it being studied right now? Is the administration studying the impact of shutting down yeah. the Line 5? Yes, so- we are. Yes, why do you ask? Energy. Biden is doing his best to raise all the gas prices, all the oil prices. No joke. I'll explain. With me right now is Kimberly Strassel. And Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Brian, it's so great to be here, as always. You know, if there was one theme, there is, and I was saying this to start the show, there's about seven things going on in this country, and the administration is very consistent. They're not addressing any of them. Supplies chain, what's going on at the border, what's going on with energy prices, what's going on with Afghanistan, uh, what, what, is, what is going on with crisis after crisis, what's going on with spending out of control. They don't care about inflation. They don't have a strategy. Look the other way. Uh, we're we're yeah. a, you know, the supply chain, that's our problem. We're ordering too much. Go to stores. For what? To see empty shelves? Is he, are they crazy with what they're doing? Have you ever seen an administration make no decision? No, and they just keep wanting to close their eyes. Look, they are getting reminder after reminder that this is a problem. Go back last week and look at Virginia and New Jersey and the places across the country where they lost. Um, that was a clear indication that voters are not happy with their focus. And they keep saying, well, if we can just pass our Build Back Better agenda, things will get better. But CNN poll out yesterday said 58% of Americans say Joe Biden hasn't paid enough attention to the nation's most important problems. Those are the problems that you're outlining. The average American, they care about gas prices. They care about inflation. Uh, they care about making sure that they have a job. Um, that's not what this administration is focused on. They want this big social spending blowout. And they're hoping that nobody notices and the progressives keep saying, oh, really, just look at these polls showing these provisions are popular. Uh, they're not. Um, and Americans are frustrated. Uh, I'm, uh, count me in one of them. Uh, it, it mean, they're only trying to win over Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. They're not trying to win us over in order to put back an agenda that nobody really needs. When it comes to oil and gas, what have they done to Alaska? Oh, I mean, it's just been terrible. They are reversing all the gains. Remember, 
think about how long Washington worked on this question of opening up a very small piece of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, uh, which was set aside at the time that this uh, reserve was created to have a little tiny area where you had some oil and gas extraction, but it was going to be a massive uh, amount of oil and gas for the nation to go down an existing pipeline. By the way, it's already there. So very minimal uh, invasion of anything in order for a huge return. Um, This is a kind of project that have really allowed America over the last 10 years to claim a measure of energy independence. And just think about how important that has been, Brian, for the country's autonomy, not being beholden to the Middle East and other rogue nations. Um, But now that we finally got approval to do that, Congress worked on it for ages. They are pausing all of that. They are looking to reverse the leases up there. Um, you know, and that's just a small portion. Uh, consider the pause they took in other federal uh, federal projects that were ongoing. They're determined, to, it seems, to bring this country's energy production to its knees. Listen to this reaction on Bloomberg Friday. Jennifer Granholm, when asked, why are we not pumping more? Listen to what she does. Cut to. What is the Granholm plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. Would that I had the magic wand on this. As you know, of course, uh, oil is a global market. It is controlled by a cartel. That cartel is called OPEC. And they made a decision yesterday that they were not going to increase beyond what they were already planning. So, I mean, how unacceptable is that answer and inaccurate? Well, look, it is a global uh oil market, obviously. But to the extent that the United States is producing oil uh, and has a plan to continue to produce more of it, we are able to uh, then therefore not get in situations like we are now. Um, And the last administration was very, very focused on making sure that we continued our increases in production. That was one of their top priorities. Um, And they did a a magnificent job of it as well, too. You know, a lot of this is private industry here as well and investment. But that's one of the problems right now, Brian, is that companies are looking around. They see a very dismal regulatory situation under Biden, um, and they're not now investing for forward-looking projects. Uh, This is this is one of the problems. And and all of those cues then play into uh, global oil uh, supply and and production. Kimberly, throughout uh, the Trump administration, you never overreacted when this uh, Russia things was happening. You just put it in perspective. You knew something was up. What is John Durham just featuring your column right now? What has John Durham showed you over the last month about the three people that he has indicted? Well, the story here Brian, is that, you know, we keep calling this thing the, the Steele dossier. It's not the Steele dossier. We now know it was the Clinton dossier. And the extent to which people in Hillary Clinton's orbit uh, were involved with creating this these documents that made these scandalous accusations and then feeding them to the FBI and then magnifying them throughout the press uh, and turning this into a, a bogus scandal that occupied the nation, the FBI, a special counsel, and Bob Mueller. It it was remarkable. The biggest dirty trick uh, I think we've seen in modern history. Um, And the most important thing out of Durham is he's unraveling this. 
he is every time he puts out one of these indictments, he's telling us a story. And the most recent one to do with Igor Dangchenko was the story of how the main source for this dossier, and now we find out, it turns out, was actually getting some of his information from somebody who was in the Clinton orbit themselves. So, you know, all along we've been told, you know, this uh, we got this intelligence report and it makes it sound as though it's coming from all of these, you know, Russian spooks somewhere. No, some of this information was coming from somebody who was actively working on Hillary Clinton's campaign and then getting fed to the FBI and then getting reprocessed and pumped back out into the press. And this guy, Chuck Dolan, dates back to Yeltsin's days uh, during the Clinton administration. And he had extensive ties with Strobe Talbert, who was there with Clinton during those times, and they were trying to navigate the alcoholic leader uh, and handling it. But he got extensive contacts and trust within Russia. And I think the bigger question, which we're eventually going to unwind, is was Russia feeding him bad information or were they colluding with him to give information in to make sure Trump's four years, if in fact he did get elected, and he did to the the surprise of everyone uh, on that end, uh, would go into be hell. So they, they established these storylines that didn't exist about the Trump organization and Vladimir Putin and things that happened when he was uh, with the, uh, the uh, Miss Universe pageant that goes all the way back and nothing ever happened. Think about how the country was hurt during this time and how embarrassing it was as the rest of the world watch us tearing each other's eyes out as the sitting president said all of this stuff and all the people you're arresting from Flynn to Manafort has nothing to do with me getting elected and no one would listen. Yeah. You make a, you make an absolutely great point because put aside all the lies that are in the dossier. The other one that we got fed all these years was that uh, supposedly our intelligence agencies knew for a fact that it was Putin's ambition to get Donald Trump elected. And all of this was aimed at making sure that Hillary Clinton lost. You know, we don't know that. But what we do know, and this gets to your point, is that Russia always benefits when the United States is in disarray. And that is why it's very worrisome to know what was Russia feeding anyone? Was that making its way into this? You know, Russia won either Russia won any time that there is a president who is hobbled by a a special counsel, uh, a special prosecutor with a years long investigation that's hobbling a presidency. And the United States uh, people who are pointing fingers at each other uh, over whether or not, you know, who's a Russian spy and who isn't. This was a mess. Um, and, and that's how Russia benefits is from chaos in the United States. And there were a lot of people who helped enable that here on the United States side. You know, I got I just got this question from Stuart Varney. I just want to throw it to you before I let you go back to your life that you were living so comfortably before I interrupted it. Um, what, what do you see? I just spent yesterday with Tim Scott. And, of course, there are people talk about him as a presidential hopeful. They talk about DeSantis. They talk about Nikki Haley. They talk about Pompeo. Chris Christie clearly wants to run. Uh, Ted Cruz clearly wants to run. After watching what happened in Virginia, what, do you, what does Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal take away from that, number one? And number two, what, how does that affect whether you believe that Trump uh, will run in 2024? Look, I know there are a lot of people who are devoted to Trump. I know there are a lot of people who also loved Trump, what he stood for, and his approach to politics. And I think that that's what you're seeing now in a number of of follow-on politicians, folks like DeSantis, Nikki Haley, who realize that what Americans – what they really appreciated about Donald Trump was that he was not – 
one to shy from a fight, right? Uh, we've had a lot of Republican presidents over the years who just sort of said, I've lost that one in the public opinion. Uh, I'm not going to fight back or punch back. Um, Trump was willing to do that. Now, where people tend to divide is a little bit over his particular style, right? Um, you can be tough. You can be loud. You can go out into the fight. You might not do it exactly the way he does. All of these politicians are going to have to make a decision about whether or not they want to challenge him. I'm a big believer in competition. I think it's fun when people go out to Debate ideas and, and approaches. So I hope we have a bit of a, a primary fight out there. Um, and what they all ought to be taking is that this is a country that's in a mood for a strong leader that's going to go in a very different way than what you see this White House doing. That's an enormous opportunity. And, you know, I, I, I tend to think competition's healthy. So I hope we see a lot of people and, and all trying to raise the game in terms of what they're offering to the United States. Yeah, I you just can't see it. I mean, he already went after Chris Christie, said, Mr. 9%, uh, how dare he run against me? We, we can't turn our back on 2020 when Chris Christie's message was, we have to get over this. What Youngkin told you is, I don't want to say anything bad about Trump, but I don't want to run with Trump. You got to run on your own. That's pretty much, without the Trump base, you can't win. With, uh, with only the Trump base, you can't win. So how do you do both? So I think there's a formula there. And I think the best thing to ever happen to President Trump, if you talk about him being a different candidate, is being off social media. Oh, yeah. And look, I, I couldn't agree more. By the way, what else did Virginia tell us is that people want a forward-looking message, to your point about Chris Christie and getting over 2020. People want to hear, what are you going to do for me going forward, right? If the Republican Party is going to sit here and have endless debates about what happened a year ago and who's to blame and how that happened, they're going to stay there. Um, but Virginia was a message. You got a candidate. Youngkin was great at this, talking about the issues that affect people right now. And look, we began the conversation talking about this. This is what Biden's doing wrong. He's not focusing on the problems that exist at the moment. And Youngkin was able to do that both, by the way, give a lot of deference to those Trump voters out there, but also say, I'm my own man and we have a future together as a GOP party under me. That That's what I hope we, we see in a, a bit of competition in a primary as we head into 2024. Kimberly, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, talk to you soon. M meanwhile, we come back. Your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, and then I'll, I'll be with Mark Messier, the Hall of Fame player. He's got a brand new biography out. Uh, you don't want, you definitely want to hear the details of that. Mark Messier coming up next. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A high school principal has apologized for unsportsmanlike conduct of the school's football team after they beat another team 106 to zero. Apology accepted, said the Jets. That's funny uh, to a degree. To little uh, one-offs, not the same type of funny we used to have. Quick announcement: uh, President Freedom Fighter doing quite well. We'll find out what kind of ranking. Uh, we have going, thanks to you guys, tomorrow night in Connecticut. If you're listening to me on WABC, WRCN, anywhere, 
R.J. Julia in Madison, Connecticut. It starts at, I think we're going to be there by 6 o'clock. It's going to be a straight book signing. I have a chance to see people in Connecticut. Uh, I know uh, Doylestown, Pennsylvania after that on Thursday on Friday. First visit to Albany, the Bookhouse of Stuyvesant Plaza in Albany, New York. Then Elkhart, Indiana at the Big Noise event at Lerner Theater. Then I'll be in Vero Beach, Florida, Tuesday, November 16th, part of the Patriot Awards. We're taking the radio show on the road to Hollywood, Florida, right after that at the Hard Rock Live. It's going to be great. Get tickets if you haven't gotten it yet. I'll be signing after that show, too. Uh, Page and Pallet. I'll be in uh, Fairhope, Alabama on the 19th. That's Friday. Signed the President Freedom Fighter. Then The Villages, uh, one of the featured stops on every Fox uh, author, absolutely do not want to miss it. Barnes & Noble on Saturday. And the big news is Sunday. The Plaza Live in Orlando, Florida. Tickets still remain. Uh, so to be there, uh, Plaza Live, it is going to be great. WDBO listeners, please pay attention. Uh, Point of Vedra after that is sold out. Uh, December, 4, uh, December 4th, uh, Clearwater just about sold out. So the 21st might be your best shot. One of those events we're going to stream on Fox Nation. Had a great time. Special thanks to everyone in West Virginia for coming out. Special thanks to everyone at Lexington, Kentucky that came out over the weekend. And on Friday, WSB listeners really paid attention, and we appreciate that. The whole lineup uh, helped get the word out. And we had a great signing at Books A Million and what a great staff they had. So it's the President Freedom Fighter, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. And I hope you liked it. When we come back, I want you to hear from uh, Mark Messier. Mark Messier, to me, is the finest leader in sports that I have witnessed. And he played until he was 43 years old. Uh, he won six Stanley Cups, captain on, I think, every one of those teams. I watched him KO the Islanders in New York at the end of their, uh, their dynasty and then create his own with the Edmonton Oilers and bring a championship to the Rangers and continue to win after that. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back in a moment. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My recollection was just grabbing the paper and looking at the cover and seeing we will win tonight and just kind of laughing and shaking my head and and Mark laughing too. And he said, yep, we're in it now, aren't we? Uh, Mark Messier, of course, uh, that's what they're talking about when he talks about uh, that Mark. And that is our next guest. Uh, Mark Messi, a Hall of Fame hockey player, six-time Stanley Cup champion, author of a brand-new book called No One, Wins Al- uh, no One Wins Alone. And that was Brian Leach, his longtime friend, and I uh, lived very close to each other in, uh, in New York City during their days with the Rangers together. Mark Messier, uh, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Brian Leach, one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, great memories. Uh, great to be on with you. Hey, uh, Mark, do you, are you guys still in touch? Oh, of course. Uh, like I said, Brian and I became so close playing here in New York, uh, living in the city and driving back and forth to games and practices over the years. And, of course, Sharon and the Stanley Cup, uh, we're, uh, we're soulmates for life now. So um, I always thought in my lifetime, um, and covering sports, my first job was sports phone. You probably were with the Oilers at the time, nine seven six one three one three before even all sports radio coming out of school. I always thought even before you came to the Rangers, uh, 
you're probably the greatest leader in sports in your era. In fact, the first uh, autographed frame picture I got from my son, who's now 24, was you. Uh, because oh. I just said that is what a leader is. I didn't, you know, you were one of the best, but it didn't matter. You made everybody better. You cared about other people, and they wanted to win for you. I'm not sure how you did that, but wherever you want, that was the story. They wanted to play great for you. Have you th- had a chance to reflect on that? And is that what we see in this book? Well, thank you for those kind words. I, I, I'm not sure if they wanted to win for me, but I think what the the idea was is to make everybody feel good about themselves, inspire everybody to be the best, uh, you know, and, you know, and then, of course, uh, share a vision, share a dream, um, and then, you know, go on the day-to-day journey of trying to accomplish winning a Stanley Cup. And I think everybody believed in what we're trying to accomplish in the way we're going to try to accomplish it. And everybody felt that anything less than their best wasn't going to be good enough. And you just, (laughs) that's how it starts. And, you know, we gained some momentum through the regular season and ultimately and through the playoffs. And, and then, of course, the groundswell of uh, excitement through the city uh, helped us uh, in those two Game 7s against, uh, you know, New Jersey and Vancouver. But, uh, you know, I think it, uh, as the book says, no one wins alone. It's the most important uh, concept in, in team sports is that it takes everybody in order to be successful. Absolutely, and you could appreciate that. See, you weren't one of those superstar guys that didn't care about the last guy in the roster. You cared about everybody, and that's where that came from, um, in my humble opinion. I saw the end of the Islander dynasty and the rise of the Oiler dynasty, and I remember they took it to you one year. Uh, uh, they swept you at the first time you played them in Stanley Cup, and the next year you took them out and would knock them out for, I think, t- the next 20 years. They would obviously not be the same team, be able to rebuild with bad management, bad owners from there on in. What did you learn in observing the Islanders during those years that helped you ever since? Well, the Islanders were such a great team. I mean, you know, obviously much harder to do what they did now, but even then it wasn't easy uh, to have a dynasty like the Islanders. They were so such a complete team. They had grit and determination. They had skill and artistry. They had great coaching, great management. They were connected in every way. They were experienced uh, you know they they had everything um and like i said before when when you win a championship it it changes you it changes every person it changes the team it changes the organization and the culture when you win multiple stanley cups uh the knowledge that you have over the rest of the league is uh you know it it's hard to it's hard to monitor or it's hard to measure uh because of what you've learned and and knowing what you're capable of and when you're pushed to the limits and that you're able to, you know, push harder, jump higher, reach further. So I, you know, for us, you know, the, the Islanders became a huge measuring stick, obviously. And, and I guess, unfortunately for us, we we had to play the Islanders in, in three different playoff series through that, through their cup run. And uh, ultimately uh, we're able to beat them on their way to their fifth Stanley Cup. But, uh, wow, uh, so much respect for them, the team, the players. And I don't think the Oilers are the Oilers without the uh, Islanders. Which is uh, true. And, Mark, of course, you, Kevin Lowe, uh, Wayne Gretzky would play forever. Grant Fuhrer would play forever. But it seemed to me, I know you guys came from the WHA as a franchise. It seemed to me that you guys were cocky. Uh, there was a sense that you guys were having fun. And, and you were, knew you were great. 
Um, and in a way, it seemed to me from the outside perspective, from the New York perspective, which you gradually would see from uh, to the Canadian perspective, is like I don't. I got the sense that you did not. You thought you guys were going to take that series. Well, first of all, I, I think we were perceived as being cocky because we were having a good time. We were winning. We were enjoying ourselves. And, and I think as a professional athlete at 18, 19, 20, 21, if you're not having a good time, there's <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> so, so I, but I think we were a little bit different in, in the fact uh, that we were starting to change the way teams conducted themselves and carried themselves and you kind of moving away from the you know, the staunch kind of establishment of, of what NHL players and coaches and, um, you know, were back then. Of course, we had a lot of flair, you know, with Wayne Gretzky, the greatest player to ever play the game. And, and our and the style of play that we played uh, was, uh, you know, exciting. It was kind of uh, a lot of flair and artistry. And, and right. of course, our coach, uh, you know, was very confident. And, you know, we started to take on a bit of a, a swagger, if you will, but I think it was it was confidence. We had a lot of respect for our opponents. We had a lot of respect for you know the NHL and everything right. that that it stood for. But uh, you know, if it was perceived as cocky, it certainly didn't feel like that way on, on our part. So here's how your first cup sounded: Cut, uh, cut fifty five. Number 11, winner of the Conn Fight Trophy as the most valuable player in the playoffs. 1984, your thoughts? <laughs> oh, man, that brings back so many amazing memories. Uh, you know, childhood dream come true. First Stanley Cup in my hometown, Edmonton. Uh, you know, uh, winning the Conn Smythe, uh, winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, oh, it, 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 it didn't get any better than that for for us. Uh, the people in Edmonton uh, yeah, who were huge you know, NHL fans, huge Montreal Canadian fans, huge Toronto Maple Leaf, the original six, and to see a Stanley Cup on our home, you know, Northlands Coliseum uh, was just was remarkable, to be honest with you. So uh, the people listening to us now, especially the WABC listeners, remember Mark Messier uh, leading the New York Rangers to their first cup uh, since the World War II era. Here is Mark Messier's uh, hat trick against the Devils, uh, to force a game seven, cut 52. Level left to Messier. Messier shot. Score! They tied the game. Mark Messier. Leach drops it. Kovalev again. Save one goal. Rebound. Score! Mark Messier gets his second goal. The Rangers lead three to two. John McLean center for the empty net. Mark Messier. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? He said we will win game six. He has just picked up the hat trick. <laughs> I mean, I get chills hearing that, and I heard it there. What if, is it? Have you heard the broadcast before of that? I'm sure you have. I have, and it does never gets old. It never will get old. Uh, to this day, when people uh, thank me or, or tell me where they were during that that uh, playoff series and the Stanley Cup, it. Uh, what were the circumstances, just, Mark? Relay it out for us. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, the New Jersey Devils had, uh, you know, taken over the series lead. Uh, we had played them six times during the regular season and beat them all six times. So, um, But we found ourselves down 3-2 going into the Devils in the conference final. 
uh, we needed to figure out a way to win. Uh, we needed to figure out a way to play better. Uh, we And the first step of doing that is believing you can go in there and win. So I just wanted our, our team to make sure that they knew that I believed we could win. And at that point of the season, the smallest things can make a difference. And right. if that was something that uh, we needed in order to uh, – to go in there and play the kind of game we we're going to have to in order to win, I was certainly more than willing to uh, to take the risk. But the the idea was is to make sure that uh, we all knew that I believe that uh, we could go in and win. And I just want everyone to hear um, what it was like when you go on to the finals and you win Game Seven after you were up three one, I believe, and you win Game Seven, cut fifty four. So you've won them before. How was that different than the others? Well, it, it was interesting, uh, you know, because of the, you know, the, my career in Edmonton, you know, with with five Stanley Cups in seven years, six finals in eight years. Um, you know, it was an amazing run with some of the best players that ever played the game. Um, coming to New York, I was so thrilled to play. First of all, in New York City for an original six team. I love the challenge of uh, playing for the Rangers, who hadn't won a Stanley Cup at that point at, in 51 years. And uh, sure enough, lo and behold, uh, three years later, we were uh, lifting the Stanley Cup in, in New York City. And I think one of the things that really made it so special were, uh, from my own perspective anyways, was understanding the passion behind uh, the New York Rangers how many people had never seen a Stanley Cup, how many generations of fans who had talked about it with their sons and daughters and grandfathers and grandmothers. And and uh, here we were. We were the team that was able to do that and uh, bring something that was really special to a lot of people's lives here in New York. And you can't go anywhere without people bringing it up and, and thanking you. And that's why you're, you're part of the fabric here, but also in sports. Mark, when you become – so you retire, you become a, a parent and a coach. And, and – what were you able to bring to life in your 40s? Sooner or later, Kevin, even Tom Brady is going to have to deal with this. You have all these great accomplishments, but there's so much more life to live. And I'm, and this comes up in your book. What were you able to, to bring over to the rest of your life as a parent and even a youth coach? Well, I think that what, that, what sports does is it gives us so many life lessons that uh, can you know reach beyond sport, the world of sport. Um, discipline, um, you know, dedication, commitment, focus, um, you know, tolerance, patience, understanding, uh, empathy, compassion. I mean, I mean, those are the emotions that you run through uh, when you're a player, when you're on a championship team. Those are the things that you're challenged with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and in life in general, no matter, I think, what happens, uh, those same things apply. And I know myself personally, um, you know, retiring and moving on to different endeavors and different things that I've gotten involved with, you know, all demanded the same kind of uh, things uh, from from you as a person, for me as a person. And I think the lessons learned uh, through hockey have helped me uh, enter into the, I would say, the uh, the business sector, uh, raising kids, uh, and anything else that I've done uh, since retirement. He was the 48th pick overall uh, by the Oilers, and I think they're happy they made that selection. I'm not sure. i got to get a statement from them. Um, but i got to bring you to the real world. We're watching another esteemed player, uh, Aaron Rodgers, go through a whole bunch of controversy about immunization. I want you to hear what he had to say. I just was curious where how you stood with this. Cut 21. 
I'm not some sort of anti-vax flat earther. I am somebody who's a critical thinker. I believe strongly in bodily autonomy and the ability to make choices for your body, not to have to acquiesce to some woke culture or crazed group of individuals who say you have to do something. Health is not a one-size-fits-all for everybody. And for me, it involved a lot of study in the off-season, much like the study I put into Host in Jeopardy or the weekly study I put into Playing in the Game. I put a lot of time and energy and research and met with a lot of different people in the medical field. So he's trying to explain uh, from the elite athlete perspective how, and also how he prepares meticulously for everything he does. And now everyone's coming down on him in and out of sports. Where do you stand, and, and do you have a sense of what kind of decision you would make? Um, well, first of all, I, I, I can't speak for anybody in decisions they make. Uh, the greatest part about our country is that we have freedom of speech and we have the choices to do what we want. So, you know, having said that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I think that's the greatest gift that we have living where we do. And uh, we have cho- choices and there's consequences to your choices one way or another, but uh, at least we have a choice. Right. So, yeah, the whole vaccination and sports and how this bled into it and Kyrie um, uh, Irving not doing it. Do you ever think how you would handle that? I don't. I'm sorry, you you didn't? I I, I haven't thought about it, no. Okay. Uh, All right, Mark, just wanted to see uh, where you stood. Congratulations on the book, No One Wins Alone. Uh, It's a memoir. It is now out today. Uh, Mark Messier, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. You got it. one 408 I want to get him to weigh in. We'll see what happens there. Also another great leader in sports. So when we come back, I'll be able to take some of your calls to finish up uh, this hour and find out if there's a need to know more. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The International Handball Federation's agreed to allow female players to wear bike shorts instead of bikini bottoms. But they're still insisting that refs use this whistle. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. I, I had no idea that was a real issue. But it makes me wonder if there's a need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right. George Washington's Mount Vernon estate has just sold for $50 million. I knew it was private. I did not know it was for sale. Uh, it's 16 acres. There was a lot bigger when he was when he had it. Uh, the home was last purchased by the former CEO of Lockheed, uh, Lockheed Martin. It was Robert Stevens, known as the Riverview Estate. The main house spans 16,000 uh, feet and is made up of seven bedrooms, 13 bathrooms, and 400 feet of water frontage overlooking the Potomac River. Just like Washington would have wanted it, the home remained in Washington's family till 1859. It does not say who bought it. Can we find out actually who bought it, Pete? We can, can you put your best person on it? I'm going to uh, investigate that now, but I find it fascinating. It only changed hands four times after it left the Washington family. Right, and then came Zillow, and everything changed. Next, Franklin Graham had a heart procedure. He seems to be okay at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, his docs expect a full recovery. That's good news. Next, Dana Perino. Uh, just reintroduced moments ago, but introduced for the first time, the newest member of her family. It's Percy. It's a Vishla. Uh, he was born in Hillsboro, Ohio on September 22nd. 
Ever since Jasper passed away, uh, they have uh, been in mourning. They're very tight with that dog, as everybody was. It was America's dog. I had to take a look at Percy. I have not met Percy, but very impressive. You're going to have to meet him at some point. I know. I'm sorry. I'm not giving him the stiff arm. I just have a show to do. Next. Elf by himself. A judge jokingly bans tyranny of Elf in the Shelf. Santa's little helper has caused nothing but panic. Taken to Twitter, Cobb County Superior Court Judge Robert Leonard offered parents a gift to remove the iconic elf who has traditionally moved throughout the home to determine whether a child has been naughty or nice for this decoration. This will help. I wish this happened a few years ago so that I would I could have I could have avoided playing this game with right. my nieces. I know. It is very hard. Uh, that elf moves all around the house on the holidays, creating quite some stress. Uh, unnecessary stress for adults with children. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Make sure you pick up the President and Freedom Fighter, and I'll see you at RJ Julia in on Wednesday at the bookstore. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.